God damn it. <laughs> Fucking thing went. Well, you'll just cut this part out. <laughs> I guess. All right. One, two, three. She's a rich girl and she tries too hard. You can rely on the old man's money. You can rely on the old man's money. No? Hall and Alts? No. Do you know that song? <laughs> yes, <Okay>. but no. <laughs> uh, <I'm> just saying. <laughs> oh, wow. What are you going to sing when we're doing Pretty Woman? Gold Digger? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually going to go with Painted uh, painted Ladies. <laughs> well, fuck. Just saying. <laughs> it's so funny because this episode is going to come out after Pretty Woman, so I won't know what you've sung. But our audience will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, essentially, yeah. But who who knows what else? Maybe I won't sing. Maybe I'll... Maybe you won't. You know, do a poem or something. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Uh, All right, you guys. Hello. Welcome to the pod. I'm Gracie, that's Ashleen, this is the Feminist Critique, and we're here to talk about movies, put them to feminist inclusive tests, and decide if a movie's good, and it is still my birthday month, and therefore we are continuing on with our 90s movies, and today... And she's also doing the intro too! I am, I'm doing, I'm doing it all, because you were too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love you. Uh, we're doing A Little Princess... From 1995. Yes. Yep. Well, which which is a movie from both of our childhoods. Where, yep. <laughs> like, yep. This is this is definitely a VCR type I owned as a child. Oh yeah, I had this one too, actually. Uh, I had this and the Hallmark Hall of Fame uh, Secret Garden. I didn't have the one that came out in 92 that was theatrically released. I had the one that came out in 87 on the TV. Oh, yeah. No, I had uh, the Secret Garden uh, as well, like the one that came out in the theatric release. Uh, that one did really well at the box office, right? Because that's. Mm -hmm. oh. I'm assuming that's why they did this one. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, because they uh, both a little princess and the secret garden were by Frances Hodgson Burnett, mm -hmm. and they figured, oh, well, one did really well, so let's do this one, and this one did did not do well. Yep. So let's hear the dem stats. Dem, dem stats. Dem okay. Stats. Uh, it has a dem Rotten Tomato score of. Rotten Tomatoes score of 97% critical and 88% audience. So a lot of people who have seen this movie liked it. It was very critically successful. Um, unfortunately, it had a budget of $17 million and only made just over $10 million worldwide. So it suffered a $7 million loss. Yikes. Yeah. Um, oof. Yeah. <laughs> when oh I saw God. those numbers, I was very sad. Wow. Oh my god, what? Oh, um, there's somebody who's in both those movies. In this movie. In this movie oh. and Twister. Uh, the lady that played, um, Amelia, right? Uh, yes. She was in yeah. both movies. I didn't realize that till just now. I don't remember seeing her in Twister. Like, I know we just watched it, but I do not remember seeing her in Twister. She was the mother 
She was Joe's mother. Oh, yeah! At the beginning. Boy. Yeah. You're right. Fuck, man. Ashleen was joking about how she has a really bad memory. Like, we just watched that movie a week ago, and I'd completely forgotten she was in it for two seconds. I hate it. Um, so this this movie was directed by Alfonso Cuaron. He uh, is best known for stuff like Gravity. He recently got an Oscar nomination for Roma. Mm-hmm. Um, so fantastic director. He has had a very long career. Uh, it was written by Richard Legrevens, and he worked on Freedom Riders, uh, Beautiful Creatures, Behind the Candelabra. It was also written by Elizabeth Chandler, who has worked on the TV movie The Red Tent. She worked on Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And my personal favorite, What a Girl Wants, <laughs> which if you really want ultimate cheese and none of it makes any sense but you don't care also it's got Colin Firth in it and they use the same house from Pride and Prejudice uh, in uh, What a Girl Wants did they really? wow yep the same house that was used for Pemberley was used as his residence in What a Girl Wants I swear to fucking god they like every fucking movie crew is just like hey let's make a fucking uh, Pride and Prejudice Mr. Darcy joke in every Colin Firth movie ever I mean, he played Mr. Darcy twice. We've discussed Bridget Jones. Yeah, that's true. He can't get away from it. No, he can't. I don't think he cares. No, honestly, (laughs) I think he's at the point where, like, it really is an amazing joke. Uh, Because, I mean, we also did uh, St. Trinian's, and he kicked... There were Darcy jokes in that, He he kicked a dog named Mr. Darcy into a wood chipper. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> I think that was his internalized feelings at the time, but it's been like 15, 20 years since uh, St. Turnian, so I think we're good. It's been 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, now, the cast. Um, the cast, it's very interesting how the cast worked out because there's only one person listed who actually still has like a major career. Yeah. Um, Liesl Matthews played Sarah Crew. Her notable uh, accomplishment was Air Force One. Uh, right, I think now she's like a philanthropist and a charity organizer. Um, yeah, she has like a lot of money. A lot. Like $500 million a lot is her net Boy. worth. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'll never even make a million yeah not in my lifetime not in my <laughs> lifetime same uh yeah well that's i think it's lucky. because like she comes from like a pretty wealthy family like her family mm-hmm. controls the uh royal caribbean carnival cruises or oh like, wow cruise lines and stuff right oh yeah they're hella rich yeah so like not just that and then the transunion credit bureau so like sh- she's she's hella rich Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot. No wonder she's involved in philanthropy. She didn't need to be an actress. Yeah, exactly. She um, just did it for fun. 
<laughs> she did it for fun. Uh, Eleanor Braun plays Miss Minchin. She was in the House of Mirth. She was in Wimbledon. Um, she's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, she was kind of just one of those actresses that acted between the 70s and the mid-90s. Yeah, well, like, I mean, so. she's best known for her role of being in the Beatles film, Help. Mm-hmm. She played uh, Almy. Yeah. Almy? Whatever. Yeah, uh, Rusty Schwimmer plays Amelia Minchin. Uh, She was in The Perfect Storm, The Belko Experiment, Twister. uh, So, yeah, she's been in a lot. Uh, Arthur Mallet plays Charles Randolph. He was in the original Mary Poppins. He was also in Halloween, and he was a voice in Secret of Nim. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, Vanessa Chester plays Becky. She kind of was very popular in the 90s and kind of fell off the map. I knew her also from Lost World Jurassic Park, where she played Jeff Goldblum and Julianne Moore's adopted daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and she was also in She's All That. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And last but not least, uh, Liam Cunningham, who plays Captain Crew and the Indian god Rama. Um, We're going to get into that. Yep. Uh, But (laughs) he uh, is best known um, for Game of Thrones. So. Yeah. He. um, he, The character's name escapes me. Uh, but he was the one that was really good friends with Stanith Baratheon's little girl before she was torched. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one. <laughs> that guy. Uh, so, let's talk about the intro to this movie. Because it starts out very insensitively, actually. Um, a white woman is playing an Indian woman who is the love interest of an Indian god named Rama. I I will say, at least they didn't do brown face. Justin Trudeau. I mean, what? Yeah, they did not. They did not do brown face. Um, like they did really heavy eye makeup, and they had her in a very traditional sari. Mm-hmm. But, but they did but not still. do. They, they probably, a white guy playing an Indian god is kind of uh, yeah. fucked up. I mean, they could have hired, like, an Indian woman to play. Like, they, they had two people playing Indian characters, like, later mm-hmm. on. Well, three. Like, there's three Indian characters all together. Oh, yeah. Uh, which they had, you know, people of that descent playing them. They could have hired a fourth one to play this character. Yep, they coulda. Um, also, a fifth one, t- like, why can't an Indian ma- man play Rama? Well, exactly, that too. <laughs> I think the idea between, like, because it was her father, like, mm-hmm. playing Rama, uh, I think it's the idea of, like, in her Juxtaposing. mind... Pardon? Juxtaposing, yeah. where she, like, in, in her imagination, she imagines her father in that role. Yeah. Well, I do wonder, is the girl, the woman who played the uh, the princess, was she also the same person who was... Uh, Photographed as her mother? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense, but, but still. Yeah. It could have been better. Mm-hmm. It's not 
well, I don't know if it's super racially insensitive, but at least we can say they did not do brown face. Um, I mean, (laughs) which is the least they could have done, right? It's the least they could have done. I mean, Justin Trudeau did brown face 10 years after this movie came out. Um, And 10 years beforehand, like, obviously (laughs) the people involved in this film knew not to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I also he's not the only one that's done brown or blackface. Like that's just the most recent one. So yeah, it's. Uh, um, I mean, if anything, this was blue face. Yeah, which uh, you know what the that one band, the the drummer guys, they wouldn't appreciate that. Okay, they have <laughs> their own culture and their own traditions. And they don't like it when somebody paints themselves blue. Oh, God. Are you going to take it up with the guy from Big Fat Liar as well? Yes. And also (laughs) the guy from Arrested Development. Oh, jeez. The Blue Man Group, Um, okay? The Blue Man Group (laughs) have their own... Funny story, though. Funny story. There's actually um, an interesting... uh, Back in, like, oh, God, this is kind of off topic, but it's a really cool history thing. Um, In Kentucky, there was a race of people known as the Blue People because they didn't get enough oxygen in their blood. Because. That they were blue. Yeah, but that was also because of a genetic mutation Mm because they were doing the number one rule of this podcast, don't fuck your cousins. cousins. But I mean, like, I'm glad you knew about that. I thought that was pretty interesting when I learned about it. Well, because they were also. And then they were counted as colored. Oh. Yeah. Which, um, you know, they were people of color. Like, that's what I mean. Um, Oh, wow. mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because I think the last one died in, I want to say, the 1970s or like. Mm-hmm. Or, no, like, kind of recent, because one of them ended up on, like, Jenny Jones or Ricky Lake or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, side note, too, uh, this is a... Actually, no, I'm not going to get into that. Never mind. Well, we can get into something else uh, kind of fucked up. Well, a lot fucked up. Captain Crew lives in India as a British man who owns a huge company, um... I'm assuming in grain of some sort because one of the girls later on in the movie talks about how his company makes crackers. Um, So her dad is a white guy that is a actual colonizer. Like he is in India profiting off of the backs of the the, um, indigenous Indian people. Yeah. Which um, is a very real fact of history, uh, but a fucked up one. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, walking into this, like, understanding historical context of the time, this is, like, 19... Between 1914 and 1915. Yeah. So, I mean... Well, India wasn't, uh, like... Liberated. It wasn't liberated until, what, the 1950s? The 1940s, I think? I... Something like that. I'm not quite sure on the year, but I do know at this point, India was still considered a colony of England. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, at one point, England did own one-fifth of uh, the world. Not own, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, had colonies one-fifth of the world. Yeah, they had utterly destroyed one-fifth of the yeah. world. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, let's be honest here. Colonization is really one of the most fucked up things in history, and English people were the best at it. Uh, yeah. Not to say it's a good thing. It's just that they really were good at killing people. Yeah, and that's why we have a major problem here in Canada uh, with how we treat our indigenous uh, people. And the same with uh, in Australia, because um, these are t- we are two countries that came out of it where now we're majority white. Mm-hmm. So. So yeah, uh, that I just wanted to mention that. Now uh, he is British, and the oh, I guess Brits are going South into World Africa War Two. Sorry. Oh yeah, you're you're fine. Um, the Brits are going into World War One, not World War Two. And uh, he is going to take her to New York to the same school that her mother had attended. Um, Her mom uh, had died in childbirth with her baby sister. So it was just the two of them. Mm -hmm. What I really appreciate about this movie, setting aside the fact that he is a colonizer, um, he's a really good dad to his daughter. Um, and, uh, like, when they're on the way over to New York, like, he he talks lovingly about his wife. Um, what I find a lot in tropes where there's a man who lost his wife, a lot of the times in these kinds of movies, he doesn't know what to do with a daughter. Yeah, um, so he ends up, like, sh- you know, throwing her at a boarding school and saying, like, now I just don't want to deal with this and get a new family or whatever, right? Yeah. But he... Captain Crew doesn't do that. He is raising his daughter. All of, you know, I mean, like, obviously there's, you know, a case. There's caretakers. Yeah, there's caretakers actually doing, like, you know, the hard work. But, you know, he doesn't talk down to her. He doesn't treat her uh, as less than. Yeah. He, he loves his daughter. You can tell. Mm-hmm. And he wants to spoil the ever-loving shit out of her. Yeah. Um... So, they arrive in New York. Uh, well, on the boat, he gives her an, uh, a locket that has his picture and his wife's picture in it. So that she always has them with her. Yeah. Um, so, they arrive in New York and they uh, get to Miss Minchin's Academy for Girls. Um, or Seminary for Girls, I think. Whatever. It's a school for girls. It's like finishing school. Um, and she is introduced to Miss Minchin, who is this very stoic, very tall, proper woman, um, who's very stern. Obviously, uh, um, sh- she is a spinster. Yes. She and her sister both. Yeah. Both yeah, of they them. They have never been married. Yep, yeah, never been uh, married. So, and, and this isn't a Boston marriage. They're not just saying they're sisters, okay? They're actual sisters. Yep. They can't stand each other. No. <laughs> um, and Miss Minchin is showing Sarah and uh, Captain Crew around. But she's doing um, it in get... a way that, like, because even, she even cuts off uh, Captain Crew, who's trying to tell her things, right? But, like, Miss Minchin just cuts him off and, like, continues to talk. And he's like, um, but my daughter speaks French. Like, he was trying to tell her that, right? Yeah, she's she's like, uh, you know, we have French lessons at such and such a time of day. And he's like, oh, well, Sarah's fluent in French, you know. And But he can't even finish his sentence because she has, like, just cut him off. She's all yeah. like me. And is continuing to talk on about the kind of lessons they have. 
God, she's something. Uh, they they do end up reaching the French class where the French teacher is asleep and he wakes up and starts conjugating uh, how to say I eat. <laughs> well, okay, so the way that... Um, see, Gracie doesn't know this because she... Wait, did you do any French lessons? Yeah. Oh, okay, well... Repetition and... Con- like, repetition was huge. Yeah. And, God, the worst part of taking my French in high school was conjugating verbs. Oh, thank I you. Hated con- okay, so Conjugating verbs is a pain in the ass. In Canada and Ontario, we have been taught French since... Uh, I was taught nine years of French. Still fucking bad at it. <laughs> Not fluent at all. Horrible at French. Um, but, yeah, the whole conjugating verbs is, like, honestly the worst part. Where it's, like... Because um, you're essentially saying, like, je thing, uh, to thing, and then uh, there's, like, uh, male, f- female, and then there's the, like, you all there, and then there's, like, mm-hmm. male and female, but, like, pearl, p- plural. So, yeah. uh, honestly, though, if we're going to be fucking gender neutral, just say y'all there. Yeah, Southerners got it right at least in one way. Mm-hmm. You want to be you want to be gender neutral? Just say y'all. Y'all. I say y'all all the time. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, so after after she's introduced to class, we meet Lavinia, who is taking this one girl. Her name is Ermagard. Yeah, Ermagard. Um, she's taking Ermagard. God, she's got her the name. unfortunate name in this movie. Ermagard. <laughs> honestly though she's such a sweet she really kid is. right she's got these curls and these glasses like she's also a little bit heavier than the rest of her classmates like she kind of stands out as a sore thumb and Lavinia is taking her fucking uh, like hair and dipping it in her ink just so it messes up her uniform Yeah, and also it's kind of like this apex predator thing right how dare you <laughs> I was going to say that listen I said it first when we were talking about it you called her something else no I said it <laughs> I essentially said that like it, it's like the alpha saying that like mm-hmm. I'm the fucking alpha in this relationship or whatever I'm, I'm, y'all can I'm go fuck bitch. yourself <laughs> exactly like she is it's like prison like she is fucking putting out her territory and saying like hey dare, I dare you fucking dare you to take me on new girl yeah. That's what you gotta do in high school. Fucking new girl shows up, you fucking, you gotta fucking, you know, piss on your territory. <laughs> oh, no. oh man, Mean Girls had it right. We're all animals. <laughs> <laughs> also, Mean Girls musical is fucking amazing. You should really, uh, if you can't afford to watch it, at least listen to the soundtrack. Yeah. Um... So, after this, she goes upstairs to her room, and she and her dad have a conversation, um, and it's so sweet, because he, he sits her down with this new doll that he's got her, which is an ugly-ass doll, but How dare you talk it's a product about of its time. Like that. Well, he says um, something to the effect of, you know, like, even though I'm not going to be here with you, Emily is uh, a messenger, and other toys, you know, they work quick as lightning to help send messages to other people. So you can share all of your secrets with her 
and she'll tell me everything that you want me to hear. And when you give her a hug, you're really giving me a hug. And it's really this nice way of saying, you know, of trying to give her some comfort because he's going off to war yeah. and he's having to leave his daughter behind in a strange place with strange people. Like she's, she's never lived anywhere but India, Yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. I just thought it was really sweet. Yeah. I, I... You're right. Like, it really is a sweet moment between, you know, a father and a daughter, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <sighs> so, uh, Sarah, the next day, she's oh, having... Oh, oh, wait. There is one what? thing that Sarah does notice, right? What's and that, that is, well, the scullery maid, Becky. Well, yeah. Yeah. She notices, like... That there's this young girl about the same age as uh, her, um, like, cleaning the floors. And she's like, mm-hmm. you, you can kind of tell she what? has, like, that look of, you know, um, this sympathy. This right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I can't say that it's empathy. Because I don't think she knows quite that plight. Yeah, it's it's sympathetic yeah. at that point, not empathetic. There's a difference. Yeah. Uh, so... She has a little bit of a hard time fitting in because she's not used to a lot of rules and structure and Miss Mention is all about those rules, including non-communication. Like, the girls aren't really allowed to have any fun. Everything has structure to it. Their entire day is filled out. They don't have time to, you know, play or anything like that. Um, in the evenings, their idea of fun is to sit around and read classics while Miss Mention plays the harp, you know? It's just... It's awful. It's a very, it's a very trite experience. Well, I would not want to go to a school like. No, this. no. Like I mean, Miss Mention is very harsh and stifling, and you know, here's this new girl who has had like this exciting uh, life in India and is quite the storyteller, right? Because uh, that part where they're all reading, you know, that like classic book that's like boring as fuck, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. just like falling asleep exactly and then uh sarah takes the book and starts reading a little bit but then she starts changing the story right and uh she shows like turns it into this grand romance well exactly even like um miss mission's uh, sister is just like oh my right (laughs) and then uh and then there really is that part where um Miss Minchin like takes the book and she's like looking through it and she's like this isn't the fucking story and she like flips her lid she is like pissed and she's like yeah no more silly little fucking stories from this bitch yeah like all of you go to bed you know Honestly, and like one of the things Miss Minchin hate to use this word especially for a children's movie but the entire time I was like man what a cunt like what a cunt <laughs> like she was a total yeah, fucking I, cunt I have I don't know if it's, like, a nostalgia thing, but, like, I have this unending hatred for her. I hate her. Like, even when they try to make her sympathetic, in a sense, later on in the movie, I still go, I don't care. Like, part of me, as an adult, understands that, like, she didn't have a choice in, you know, how she was raised. And apparently, like, what's kind of alluded to is that her father was not this kind and loving person like Sarah's father was. And there seems to be this jealousy that Sarah had this connection with a father that she didn't have. I gotta say. But it doesn't... All all girls, we all got daddy issues. 
Yeah, but it doesn't excuse the way she treats all of those girls. No. Like, there's this one scene where Ermagard is um, standing up, and she's been studying, but she's obviously very nervous, and they're doing their times tables. And it's her turn, and she's supposed to do seven times eight. And she, she freezes, and... Like, Miss Minchin just mocks her in front of everyone. She's just so hateful to her. You know, and Ermacard's like, well, I studied all last night. And Miss Minchin's like, well, I find that very hard to believe. And it's just very humiliating. And then she calls on Lavinia, who we all know is, like, HBIC, or at least she thinks she is. And the look Lavinia gives Ermacard when she's like, seven times eight is 56. Well, that's, and I think that's something that shows that there are adults out there who bully children. Oh, for sure. Right? And that's fucked up. I I had a teacher in, I went to a private Christian school, and I had a teacher in kindergarten, Mm -hmm. and then they moved her up to first grade, so I had her kindergarten and first grade, and she hated me. Like, there, or she hated my mother, so she took it out on me. Like, I went up, I went up front, um, my mom is a cigarette smoker, and I went up front to the front of the class, I was turning in a paper or something, and she says loudly enough that everyone in that class heard, which, it was a very small school, I only had 11 other kids my age at that school, like, every class was only about 12 people. Yeah. And she says very loudly, so everyone else in the room can hear, Gracie, you smell like cigarette smoke. And when you say that in front of six-year-olds and they see a teacher picking on you, they're going to pick on you. Yeah. It's just... And so when I hear these people talking about, you know, like, a lot of people who are in the education industry are amazing, wonderful individuals. But there are also a lot of people who decide to become teachers because they think they get summer break off. And they're and they want to be authority figures, and they don't have the empathy for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so when a when a kid comes to you, like if you have a kid, and your kid comes to you and is telling you all of these things about your the teacher, don't necessarily knock it down to them just complaining about school. Just look into it, just to be sure, you know, because you don't want your kid to suffer because the teacher is picking on them because it happens yep. more than you probably think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like in high school and I actually talked about this yesterday with my brother, I was explaining to him that I, so when I was in grade 11, I took a grade 12 class uh, for English and I was actually pretty good at English. Like I'm a decent writer, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, But I was handing in all my assignments. I was getting what I thought were 80s and 90s, right? And I even, on the exam, got like 85%. So I thought I was doing quite well. But the teacher, he was retiring. He was going off to Costa Rica to fucking retire. He didn't give a fuck. I got, somehow got 30 on my final grade. I don't know how, I don't know why, but then they tried to, like, give me a an extra, like, assignment the next year to, like, improve that grade, despite me bringing all this evidence or whatever, because I wasn't the greatest student, but this was, like, something that I was like, no, I am being 
Like, there's something wrong here. Like, this guy fucks off to Costa Rica and then, like, I don't pass English? Like, what the fuck, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, they gave me this assignment. Now, we have uh, a little bit of a different um, system in Canada where uh, there's applied English, which is more college level. That's what I took. I'm a dumbass. Whatever. I'm more of a college kid. And then we have academic, which is more university. I was given an assignment that was more university-based rather than college um, and mm-hmm. I didn't do well in it because they overmarked it, despite the fact that I read the book, I did the assignment, I worked very hard on it. So I ended up just getting, like, bare-ass minimum grade because of it. Yeah. And I'm still fucking and- mad about it. And, like, that was almost, <laughs> that was, like, 14, like, 13 years ago. And I'm still fucking mad. Oh, girl, I had, like, while we're on memory lane, in eighth grade, I took Algebra 1 um, honors because I was in uh, collegiate courses. Like, you have basically three different sets of uh, types of classes that you take. Like, you have basically shop courses. Like, you take very simple math, very simple English. Then you have college prep. And then you have honors, which was, like, university level in Canada. Yeah. And I'm taking Algebra 1 Honors in 8th grade. I'm 13. I um, am turning in my homework, but I'm getting zeros on my homework. And he's saying he's not turning it in. I ended up having to go to home, like, to uh, summer school. And then I passed summer school with an 89. What the fuck? Yeah. So, yeah. I get it. Just listen to your kids when they tell you they're having issues at school with their teachers. Yeah. That's what this entire five-minute tirade's about. Um... (laughs) So, uh, one of the things that I also wanted to mention was Lottie. Lottie. Oh, sweet, sweet Lottie. Lottie. (laughs) She, um, we really get introduced to her type of character when she is throwing the biggest shit fit in the middle of the hall, screaming and kicking her feet and everything. And (laughs) poor Mrs. Amelia, or Miss Amelia... She's like, do you want a cookie? And she runs downstairs to try and get something. Yeah, because like... To this tinter, t- temper tantrum. Oh yeah, because Lottie is flipping the fuck out. Like, she is, like, crying and screeching. And um, Sarah comes up and she's like, you know, it's really hard to study with you screeching like a fucking banshee. And Lottie's like, but I want my mom. And she's like, well, you know, you're... You'll see her, you know, on visitation day. And she's like, no, I won't, because she's dead. And then Sarah's like, oh, okay, well, I'm in the same... My home. mom's dead, too. And then she goes into, like, sh- she shows, like, this kindness, right? And, you know, explains, mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, they're in heaven all together, and they have, like, these wings of silk. And she's just trying to, like, bring comfort to her friend, yeah, and she even tells Lottie, you know, like, they even try to send you messages, uh, but they're not going to be heard if you keep screaming and carrying on like that. But they will try again, you know? And it kind of, like, helps soothe the ache that Lottie obviously has. Like, she's obviously showing out because she's a kid. Yeah. You know, and she has grief. Um, which is another thing I think this movie does a really good job of showing. Um which we'll get into later. Uh, so parents' visitation day comes, and 
while this is happening, we're getting war imagery. And for a G-rated movie, this war imagery is pretty fucking shocking. Like, there are dead bodies. And, like, this one dead guy is holding a picture of his baby. Yeah. (sighs) It's bad. Um, And then we see um, Sarah, you know, she helps Ermagard learn a French phrase. And I... I wonder about Ermagard, even though it's not really stated, like, I can't even remember reading the book, I remember reading it as a kid, but Ermagard, you know, is talking about how, like, her father just wants her to fit in, like, they don't belong, and my first thought was, well, maybe he's new money, because in the early 1900s, I mean, you've seen Titanic, like, new money people are frowned upon. Yeah. And then... I kind of pointed out, I was like, well, maybe they're Jewish. It, it could also be that. Or just in general, like, I mean, because her, I looked up her name and her name is, um, like, German, right? And, mm-hmm. and just the, uh, like, it, new immigrants. Oh, well, the timing. Yeah. Like, it could be new immigrants. Like, we're not, we're not quite sure, but um, it, her father and her family is, is like, outside of society, Right. Yeah. But want her to be part of society to exactly like build themselves up because that's that's what people used to, you know, do is like you would you would you wouldn't worry about your generation now. You would try to like build up the gener the next generation and like make the, you know, next generation a little bit better than the other one. You know, until the baby boomers came around and the Gen Xers and then they were like, Yeah, well, you know, fuck that. Fuck what all our parents did. We're gonna say we're gonna tell the younger generations, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> it's true. Um, so, uh, the, again, the war imagery is really shocking. And one of the things that ends up happening is Sarah is telling this story to her friends later on that evening because she's, um, you know, taken up the idea of storytelling now that, she, you know, they can't do it downstairs when they're reading the classics. And what, the imagery that really struck struck me was when you have Rama in her story uh, being surrounded by these arrows filled with poison gas at the same time that you see her father crawling out of the trenches with John Randolph on his back and there's mustard gas everywhere. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's actually quite frightening. Like, I didn't think of it as a child, but you look at it now and you're just like, oh, wow, this is a little graphic for the time period. Yeah, for sure. And for a G-rated movie. And I I do want to point out that, like, in the movie, I think the only reason her dad even manages to survive the mustard gas is because he gets out of the trenches. Mm -hmm. Because... Those trenches, while great for buffering uh, oncoming fire, were death traps for mustard gas. Which was like, a- so many people died from mustard gas because they were in those trenches. And during that time period, like, uh, so the mustard gas was like a surprise attack that the Germans, you know, put on, um, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, you know, the British and etc. Right. Mm-hmm. So they didn't even have gas masks, like, during the first, you know, time. They had to, like, come back and make gas masks because so many mm-hmm. people were dying. So, um, 
And, and now that's like a normal issue. Like everybody gets a gas mask, no matter what. Yeah, it's craziness. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and the imagery. I think, I, and I honestly think, like, it, it kind of like uh, it, it tracks that the reason he manages to live is because he does get out of the trenches before he collapses. Because if he'd have collapsed in that trench, he would have died. Oh yeah. Because mustard gas sinks. Yeah. It doesn't rise. Um, so. After we see this happening, we get Sarah's birthday, and everybody's having a grand old time um, until Captain Crew's solicitor arrives, and he tells Miss Minchin that she's not going to get a check because Sarah's father is dead, and the British government has seized all of his assets, leaving Sarah penniless. And I, now, I, I'm not, and, and I love the imagery of this, right? Because the the solicitor, right, is. He, dressed in he's black. He's dressed in black. He has a top hat. He's very grim, right? And it's almost like, um, I like to say that he was playing death, essentially. Like, even though yeah. he was uh, a solicitor, he was essentially, like, playing the Grim Reaper. Death come knocking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Miss Minchin is, of course, pissed because Sarah is her cash cow, mm-hmm. right? She tolerates all of Sarah's imaginings and stuff like that because Sarah's father is bringing her the most money. Yeah. But now that money isn't there. And so she decides to take that out on Sarah. Um, though I do wonder if the British government would actually control all of her ha- assets and leave her penniless. Or if they were just holding it because she was too young. Um, I think because it was wartime, like, because that particular business that he seems to be in, right? Was food. Was food, right? And they're, it's, it's war. So they were probably holding those assets because of the war. That's a fair assessment, I think. Um, but I don't think that she would be left penniless. Well, it feels really weird that, like, she has... Because they were like, you have no family that's to speak of or whatever, right? Like, it's just her and her father. Which, I mean, I think they just put that in as, like, a plot device, right? But, mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't she have, like, you know, second cousins or something yeah, over like, in- even if the money didn't go to her it would go to the next male relative yeah and that next male relative would be her guardian if there were no other people yeah you know just like in the secret garden it's um archibald craven is like <sighs> mary's 10 times like three or four times uncle like they're not super related but they're related enough they're like second or third cousins or some shit yeah um, so I guess that's what it's like, but like for the sake of the movie, she's penniless and she has no one and Miss Minchin is pissed. Miss Minchin then goes on to sell everything that Sarah has brought with her to make up for her financial losses, which are ambiguous. We don't know what the financial losses were. Oh, um, oh the other thing I kind of want to mention too is like another part of like showing Sarah's kindness is she gives a pair of uh, shoes to Becky whose uh, shoes are like not great. Work shoes are, yeah, work shoes have really blistered her feet. Yeah, so she gives her like these fur trimmed, uh, like gorgeous, you know, slippers essentially. Mm-hmm. Right? And it, it just kind of shows... I, I mean, like... Sarah they g- create a friendship by a di- by distance. Like, yeah. they're not allowed to talk to one another, but Sarah sees her plight and helps 
the only way she's allowed to. Yeah. Because she's still a kid. Yeah. So she she flaunts authority, but not too much. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, back to the, you know, the actual. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did fail to mention that. I wanted to mention it. Um, so one of the things Miss Mention takes, actually, is the locket that had her mom and dad's picture in it. Like, Sarah's mom and dad's picture. Yeah. And, like, she rips it off of Sarah's, uh, you know, neck when they get up to the attic where Sarah's now going to live. And she's like, I could have you arrested for this. And I was like, what the fuck do you mean, bitch? It has a picture of her mother and father in it. And then what really gets me is everything else gets taken, but Miss Minchin holds on to that locket. Almost like a token of, like, how much she wants to approach her yeah it's a very well that well that's the thing it's so fucking weird because it's like that has a picture of her mother and her father who are both dead why would you take that from her just to be unnecessarily cruel yeah like and miss mention does that a lot to sarah and i think it's because sarah just kind of sees past that rigidity and she's like fuck you i don't care and like, she just generally hates this child because this child was loved, and now she gets to mock Sarah because she doesn't have a father anymore that loves her, and, you know, you're not a princess. You know, it's something that she says later on in the movie. Um, the the most, one of the most heartbreaking scenes in this movie, though, is after Sarah is left alone with the knowledge that her father is dead, and Miss Minjin oh. goes back downstairs. Well, that's the thing. Like, she doesn't even, Ugh. like, give her time to grieve. Like, she just no. she just found out that her father, her beloved father, is dead, right? On her mm-hmm. birthday. After right. like, like having... even if he died like six weeks before, she's just now finding out. Well, exactly. So it's like there's no fucking it, it just seems so fucking cruel to the point that it's like it, it's almost cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Right? Which it is a children's movie, so that's I mean, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so exactly. Sarah goes up into the, you know, she's like in the attic and then she like lies on the floor with, you know, holding Emily and she's just crying and you're just like And calling for her papa. Yeah. And I'm just like And she had drawn a circle of protection around herself, like in that story she had been telling yeah. about how, you know, uh Rama's beloved, as long as she stayed in the circle, she would be safe. So Sarah draws a circle of protection to keep herself safe. And then she holds Emily because Emily is supposed to be the thing that connects her to her father and just starts calling for him. And it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, and she also stayed in the circle, unlike that princess, bitch. Yeah, didn't help her, though. No. No, it didn't. Um, I will say, uh, one of the um, characters that keeps popping up that we haven't really talked about is Ram Das, who works for Mr. Randolph, who lives mm-hmm. next door to Miss Minchin. Ram Das um, keeps popping up in unusual places. Uh, he is the unfortunate stereotype of a mystical non-white person. Yes. Um, you know, we kind of touched on this with um, what women want with the Chinese lady that didn't have a name that kind of had that mystical feel to her. It's a common trope. It's not cool. Yeah, it's. uh, Yeah, and he like 
the first time we see him is when he's in, on the boat. Yeah, he's on the boat, right? And he keeps just kind of like popping up in places where um like I don't know, just like and then they have like that music in the background where it's like mystical. that has that kind of mystical feel like to that, it. Like, yeah, like <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, oh my, oh Don't. yeah, like it d- did not age well. No, like I'm guessing with what they had to work with. I mean, the mo- the book came out in the late 1800s, so I mean, <laughs> the book also is about the Boer Wars and stuff, like. Like her dad's in the Boer Wars and stuff in, is, in Africa, which is a whole nother fucking kettle of fish. So. Yeah, so they they updated it to where he's in World War One, where you know they're fighting an actual enemy instead of just you know fighting to colonize. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, so like, but yeah, like it it shows parts uh, like where you know, and and also he's got like a monkey, of course, because. India. Mm-hmm. And yep, it, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's just like ooh, maybe. Yeah. I mean for ninety for ninety-four it's probably or ninety-five, it's probably like not that bad. No. But like for us now it's like ooh. Yeah. Cause it, cause it really is essentially like that trope of like, oh, the the mystical non white non-white person. person. He's magic. <laughs> Yeah, of course, because he's not white. He has magic. Like, it's this weird trope that's in movies for some reason. I don't know. Um, So what we get next is just a lot of scenes of Sarah grieving and going through the, the process of grief. Like, I think they do a really good job of showing how she has to deal with the trauma of losing her father and adjusting to a new world that... You know, like, she comes from a place of privilege. Yes. Right? And now she's basically destitute. Um, And and there's, like, another, you know, part where, um, like, right at the day after she had lost her father. She finds out she lost her father, loses her father, right? She is made to work. Because that's what, you know, Miss mentioned. She's just like, next morning, five o'clock, you're in the kitchen and you start fucking working. And yep, you're going to earn your keep. Exactly. And then she starts, uh, she has to go and bring the gruel out and, like, you know, put it on everybody's plate. And Lottie is just like, what are you doing? And Miss Mention's like, she's a servant now, so you have to, like, treat her as such. Don't talk to her, you know, like, fucking bitch. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I, I guess that, that was, a like, a thing. You just didn't talk to the servants. It was, you know, kind of like children. Their best, uh, not you know seen and not seen and heard. not heard yeah um and you, you see all the, all of this with sarah having to go through the motions of doing this hard grueling labor because it really is especially for like a 10 or 11 year old um but she and becky uh become friends like to the point where they're actual friends you know they're allowed to talk with each other even though miss mention kind of forbids it um and one of the things that was so heartbreaking was when Becky asks Sarah why she doesn't tell her stories anymore. And then Becky says something that just ripped my heart, where she says, some days I thought I would die until I heard your stories. Now, 
Becky is a black girl. I don't know if we've mentioned that before now. Becky is a black child in New York who is 10 or 11 years old and is working for this. Yeah. And working for this white lady who is the worst type of, you know, like, bitch. And the fact that this 10, 11-year-old kid is going, I thought I would die. Like, that's how miserable her life is. That's awful. Yeah. But unfortunately, it was probably not too outside the norm. I mean, there was this one line earlier in the movie where Lottie um, and says that's Becky. You know, she's the servant girl. And, um, you know, she has dark skin. And Sarah goes, well, why does that matter? And Lottie's like, it just does. Like, because Lottie's like an eight-year-old. She doesn't understand what racism is. She's been taught that people with dark skin are bad or not important. And, and that's a lot. That's a lot of children who are taught, mm-hmm. you know, racism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. They're basically just taught like, oh, don't talk to them because they're black or whatever. And it's like, yeah. it, children don't aren't born racist. They're taught. They're taught. And Lottie was taught to think this. Now, I think it's a little just, you know, cinematically convenient that Sarah isn't like this. But then again, uh, yeah. Sarah grew up in India. And she was surrounded by people who were not white. And maybe, you know, because she has such a sympathetic and empathetic character, it's easy for her to, you know, not see a difference. Like, for the sake of this movie, Captain Crew, even though he's a colonizer, he's the good kind of white guy. You know, like, (laughs) roll my eyes as I say it. But, like, that's what he's portrayed as. He's one of the good whites. He's a good white. Yeah, and, like, Sarah's a good white girl. Yeah. You know, that that kind of thing. There is parts, um, like, as you say that, I'm just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, but, like, that's how it's portrayed in the movie. Yeah. You know? Um, not saying it's good to kind of, you know, frame it like that, but that's how the movie frames it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so that, that part for me just was, like, super heartbreaking, and I felt so awful, like, and then I, and then you can't help but, like, kind of push it to where we are now, and so many people, it's the exact same situation, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's awful, you know, when you've got kids that go to school, um, and they get their dreads cut off at wrestling matches, or... You know, they girls get their braids cut off by teachers, or girls aren't allowed to wear elaborate hair hair braids because you know it's against school policy. Like so many dress codes are against black girls and black boys with their natural hair. Yeah, it's it's fucking ridiculous. I mean, first of all, like we could go on and on about how dress codes are inherently sexist. But on top of that, they're also very inherently racist a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And this is what we talk about when we talk about institutionalized racism. But, um, you know, the only people that are probably listening to us right now are people that actually think it exists. um, And not the white people who are like, you're just making a mountain out of a molehill. Which is unfortunate. It is. Um... Now, a good highlight of this movie is 
There is a super sexy apple pie in this movie. (laughs) Listen, I I love food. That apple pie that they're baking for the milk uh, for Mr. Randolph, who's lost his son next door. Yeah, that was a pretty pie. I mean, there. Okay, so (laughs) that was that's the thing. The imagery in this movie is really pleasing to the eye, and that cinematography is like that pie being taken out of the oven, right, and then like being put down where there's like all those cut apples was just it, it was like really good centering to be like like it almost looked like um one of those like you know things you get at home sense or whatever or bed yeah bath it and, was like a still painting brought to life yeah that you like you know you put in the kitchen to be like this is home or whatever you know yeah. it's what white ladies do yeah, it's true. But damn, that was a sexy apple pie. Mm-hmm. We also get one little side plot, which is um, Amelia Mention is in love with their milkman. Yeah, so there is that part where um, he comes to the door, right? And she's, like, waiting for him. But then she goes running off as soon as she sees that he's, like, on his way, right? And then he's like oh, where's, you know, Miss Amelia, right? And she's like, oh, hi, how's it going? Oh, it's so nice to see you. And you're, like, they're <laughs> flirting, like, hardcore. Full on. Like, full, like, there's one part where Amelia straight up, like, like, she is, she's very direct. Like, I forget what she says, but she says something to the effect of, like, oh, it'd be so nice to see you or whatever. And you're just (laughs) like, oh, damn girl. (laughs) Get it. Get it. (laughs) Um, Also, it's worth mentioning that Amelia is a bigger woman, too. Yes. And they don't, there's only one fat joke in the entire movie, which for 1995 is amazing. Yeah. Like, she is not worthless. She's allowed to have a love affair with the guy that brings the milk and like he honestly is attracted to her yeah exactly horrible Uh, i love it so there's also this other thing um so there's also the fact that like you know although sarah's life is pretty bleak like they have her you know out in the street like going and getting vegetables or whatever right um she still remains kind to others Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few there's a few moments of that. Yeah. We'll... Um, but like there's that other part where um, Sarah and Becky play a chimney prank on Miss Minchin after she had scolded the young chimney sweet boy who is actually played mm-hmm. by the director's son in this movie. Um, yeah, it's funny. But uh, they end up pouring like coal dust, I guess, down the chimney and it just fills up the room and Miss Minchin, who was like, look at my shoe, it's dirty! And now the whole fucking room's dirty and you're like (laughs) and like, it was not easy to clean that shit up. No, of course not. Um, I will say, like, uh, after they find out that Mr. Randolph's son is missing in action, um, Sarah has to go out and get some food and like a boy gives her money cause he thinks that she's a beggar and she tries to give the money back, but the mom like basically shoes her. So she decides, okay, fine. I'm hungry. I'm going to go to the bakery and I'm going to get a treat. So she gets this really hot, warm, gooey cinnamon roll. That shit like good. Um, 
Um, but when she comes back out, she notices that there's this woman who's selling flowers and she has a baby and two little girls with her. And what I find about this imagery is that all of these women, like Sarah and this woman and her children, all have something in common. They don't have a man there in this time frame to protect them. They're having to survive without a male figure because the world is not kind to women who do not have men in their lives. Uh, Yeah, and I mean, I guess another example is from, you know, another movie, um, Les Mis, the Les Miserables, right? Where Mm -hmm. um, the women who don't have men in their life are treated uh, like shit, Right. And and that's the thing that woman is trying to sell flowers to, you know, make a little bit of money so that her children can eat because I for all we we don't know. But like for they're obviously hungry. Yeah. Well, no, not that. But like her husband could be dead. He could be fucking raging alcoholic, raging alcoholic, ran off, uh, you know, disappeared, fucking fighting the war, maybe, which Mm -hmm. I mean. Not necessarily, but uh, yeah. for the sake of the movie, they did it. That's the other thing about this, right, is, like, one of the characters is, like, American, but the son goes off to war or some shit, and it's like, mm, He wouldn't have been there. No, yeah, exactly. This isn't 1917. This is 1914. America... America always likes to join at the last minute and then pretend we did all the work. Exactly. Like... Y'all weren't in the fucking war until 1917, right? Us fucking Canadians and the Australians and the Indians and everybody, except for you guys, were in that fucking war. Mm. Uh, One of the things I also wanted to notice um, or wanted to mention as far as imagery is after she gives the cinnamon roll to the little girl that's helping sell the flowers, they give her a flower. The flower is a yellow rose. Now, Ageline says she's never heard it before, but there's this old folk song. It's not super old. It's called Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree, and it came out, I think, during the World War II era. Um, And it's a yellow ribbon means um, hope for a returning soldier. So I thought it was really interesting that Sarah ends up using the flower to go to Randolph's house and puts the flower there and the yellow signifying hope for a returning soldier. Like, that's some good symbolism that I didn't pick up on as a kid, but now I understand and I can see it. Huh. Um, yep. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, uh, Ermagard ends up coming up to visit Becky and Sarah one evening, um, and they basically, like, renew their friendship. Uh, Mr. Randolph ends up going to the hospital, um, and they find a man there, but it's not John. But Ram Dass is like, but he was in John's regiment. Maybe he can help, you know, find where John is, you know. Because for all you know, John could be in a hospital uh, in England. Yeah. You know? And, you know, uh, the problem is... And wouldn't you want him to be helped if... Yeah. Right? So yeah. they decide to... He decides to take him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that ends up happening is Ermagard and the other girls decide to put together a plan to get Sarah's locket back, uh, with Lottie doing the screaming. 
Yeah, yeah. So like Lottie, so Lottie like goes on a full fucking tirade, right? And that's when Amelia uh, is like, "Oh my god, I swear that child's gonna be the death of me. She's a foot. She's fucking possessed. She's <laughs> yeah. possessed with and a Sarah's fucking like- demon." And then Sarah's like, well, if you hate it here, why don't you just run away? Like, the milkman obviously loves you. And so Amelia follows her advice and does. Yep. It's funny. I guess listen Um, to eight-year-olds, but okay. But anyways, um, but during this, like, heist, I guess, um, they go into... um, Miss Minchin's office, right? And all of the girls are in there looking for the locket. And then finally, uh, Ermiger finds it and, uh, like, is holding it up. And she's like, look, I found it. But that's the part where, like, Miss Minchin has come back from whatever quick errand she was doing. And Mm -hmm. um, she is right at the door. And she's, uh, and Amelia goes, like, running after, like, by them. And she's like, do something about that fucking kid. And she's like, we're on it. And Becky screams. Well, yeah. Becky, <laughs> like, screams. And she's like, a- a- and Miss Minchin's like, well, well, what the fuck? And Becky's like, um, I, 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 I And she waits till all the girls are out of the way and, like, disappeared around the corner before she's like, I thought I saw a mouse. (laughs) And that's when, like, Miss Lynch is like, okay, whatever. And, like, goes to, like, go into the room because the door had been open and the door was now closed and she, like, you know, bumps her face. So. Haha, bitch. Yeah. Uh So, uh, the girls end up returning the locket to Sarah that evening, um, and then, you know, they meet the monkey that lives next door and everything, and then they're all, like, bowing to Ram Dass and the monkey when Miss Minchin pops in and tells the girls to go back downstairs. Well, that's because this- what ended up happening was, um, Sarah's telling the story, right? And they're screaming. And then they, like, like yeah. scream because I guess they're fucking overdramatic. Like, it's just a story, girls, okay? <laughs> um, but that gets mismentioned to be like, I'm gonna check and see what the fuck's going on up there, right? Yeah. Um, and then she gets up there, and they have this... Uh, after After the girls leave... You know, she is mocking Sarah again for her useless stories and how they're not doing anyone any good. And you're you're not a princess anymore. And Sarah basically responds like, I am a princess. All girls are. Even if they live in tiny attics or dress in rags. Even if they aren't pretty or smart or young. You know, didn't your father ever tell you that? Didn't he? And then, like, Miss Minchin's like, if you pull anything like this again, I'll throw you out into this street. And then she slams the door, and we kind of get this, like, moment of supposed softness, but I still don't like that bitch. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, she's uh, she's told Becky that she's not going to eat anything the next day, and that uh, Sarah has to do everybody's chores, and she's not going to eat either. Uh... So Becky ends up coming back into the attic and she and Sarah are like, I don't know how I'm going to survive without food, you know, and she also talks about, you know, I always thought of us as sisters, which I thought was sweet. Yeah, I really... Like Sarah, Sarah says that, I always thought of us as sisters. Which, yeah, is, is very, like a very sweet moment, but that's when 
um, Sarah's like, well, Becky, what's, you know, on the, the table? Like, you know, there's tons of food and there's this and we're wearing beautiful dresses. And Becky's like, um, I don't know, muffins. And then Sarah's like, yeah, but what kind of muffins? And she's like, well, all kinds of muffins. All the kinds of muffins that God ever made. I think was the line. Yeah. And then like sausages and they were just like, I'm wearing a velvet cape with lined fur at the collar and I'm wearing all diamonds, you know, like they're just imagining this entire thing. And of course, Ramdas overhears everything that they're talking about. And the next morning they wake up and their entire room is bedecked in silks. And fine garments, and there's a table laden with food. Yeah, like sausages and muffins and, you know, what they had, like, wanted, right? And Becky, like, wakes up and she's like, I think you took this imagining too far. There's that, right? And uh, and they're happy and they're dancing and, you know, because they have, uh, like, these amazing... Um, like coats that they have uh, that they can put over their like you know uh, pajamas and mm-hmm. or nightgowns yeah. and essentially right yep and everything it seems awesome you know like uh, what's her face Sarah ends up going through the rest of her day being able to do her chores and yeah because she's not things are going well well yeah and then like later that night like the next night that's when Amelia sneaks off out of the school <laughs> to run away with the milkman, right? And she's mm-hmm. got her, like, suitcase, and she's about to go out the front door. But that's when Miss Minchin um, goes to lock the door, right? And then she... <laughs> Amelia has to, like, go to one of the the windows. windows. Yeah, and, like, she throws... <laughs> She's throwing her stuff out the window at uh, at Buddy, right? And then she throws herself out the window and falls on top of him. And that's the only fat joke in the But, like, it doesn't straight up say the fat joke, which I appreciate. I mean, honestly, anyone of any size falling out of a window onto me, I'm going to be going, oh, my God. So Yeah, exactly. But I think it's implied that it's because she's a bigger woman. Mm-hmm. Like... Just saying. Uh, so Miss Minchin ends up going upstairs be- in a in a huff because um, she has found out that the necklace is missing, which makes me wonder: does she just take it out every now and then and like kind of just laugh over it maniacally in her palm, like <laughs> this fucking bitch? You know, like I, what a fucking I don't monster. know how she. Uh, yeah, like I don't I don't know how she found it out so quickly that the necklace was gone, unless she like actively takes it out every now and then. Well, yeah, so she brings um, it out, and she goes up there, and she's like, where is it? Where's the locket, Sarah? And it's like, yeah, Sarah's wearing she, it. And then she's like, well... Where the fuck did this shit come from? Well, exactly, because, you know, I do, like, magically appeared or whatever, right? Um, So she's like, you stole it, just like you stole this locket, right? And she's like, I'm gonna go call the police. So she locks Sarah course. into the, like into the attic and she's like she's gonna go and call the police which I have many things to say about this scene but Sarah's <laughs> like what am I gonna do 
the police are gonna come and get me and then i'm gonna be actually destitute or whatever right because like like, i'm gonna go to prison or to a poor workhouse well that's essentially what like what we're looking at like it's it's fucking sad so then you know she's like okay i'm gonna go across to the other um and then i'm gonna run i'm gonna run (laughs) right so they put the board out right and then the police are down there and there's like four police officers and i'm just like it's a little girl like you know what i think you know what i think i think was mentioned called saying that there was a black man breaking into her house and said they sent four people miss mention seems the type she's she's definitely a bit of a karen she's she's the ultimate karen yeah uh, uh, and it's unfortunate that the only black girl in this movie is named Becky. But yeah, so um, then Sarah Sarah almost falls to her fucking death oh, because Miss Minchin goes out and grabs well, her. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, here's these cops. Like, they're fucking. They're ready. They're gonna nab this fucking ten year old, I guess, right? Because she's a little thief, and uh, and they're like. Miss Minchin's like, well, go and get her. She's fucking running away. And they're like, well, we're trying, but it's fucking, it's a kid. Whatever, right? But, like, yeah, she grabs her, and, like, then Sarah falls, right? And then she's holding onto this plank trying to get across, and then the plank actually fucking, like, falls, and she somehow, like, grabs uh, like, this, the, ledge. the ledge, and you're like, oh my god, like, her fucking nails must be, like, broken now, right? Like, I just can't imagine, like... That upper body strength must be legit, I mean, she did lift herself up, so, like... In the pouring rain. Yeah, like, she's obviously been doing some push-ups or some shit. I don't know. Well, she's been doing some hard labor, so Mm, it's shown. That's true. So (laughs) she, like, she, you know, pulls herself up and then goes into the house, and then they're like... We'll go to the other house and get her, right? Because mm-hmm. Sarah's, you know, just trying to escape. But then um, she's hiding while they come in. And then the... And the lights go out. Yeah. And they're, like, looking all over the place, right? Because they're, they go upstairs first. And she goes into the room. And she hides in the corner and starts, you know, just crying. And this guy comes up to her, uh cat fuck you <laughs> yeah the the guy come we know the guy is her father but she can't see him because it's dark yeah and he's talking to her and he goes well what is your name and she goes sarah and he's like so, well that's a pretty name you know like and obviously he's not wanting to raise the alarm about where she is because he sees a poor helpless child yeah you know um, so the lights end up coming back on and Sarah looks up and then just like this shock and awe comes over her and she goes, Papa, Papa. And she runs to him and she's like, Papa, don't you remember me? And he's, he's like, no, I'm sorry. I don't understand who you're talking to. And she's like, Papa, don't you remember India and Maya and the Ravana? Papa, please, please remember me. And then Miss Minchin comes in and she sees this. She looks she... at him and she fucking knows who he is, right? Because you know that bitch has been looking in that fucking locket where his picture yep. is. And mm-hmm. she's like, this child has no father. And it's like, 
Oh, um, you want to talk about heated? Whew. It's like, okay, <laughs> listen, Miss Minchin, I know that you have this like weird thing. Obsession. Yeah, obsession <laughs> with poor Sarah. But like, dude, you basically just said, oh yeah, she doesn't have a father. And now she's going to be carted off to prison and then afterwards, like, once she, you know, does her sentence, she'll either be out on the fucking streets of New York or put into a fucking workhouse. And, like, you're just yeah. okay with this. Yeah, completely okay with it. Oh, and they had, like, the the police, and she, she looked at the police and they hauled Becky up, too. Like, it wasn't just Sarah. Oh. They were like, you can, t-, she said, you can take this one, too. Like, she didn't even refer to Becky as a person. She was like, this one. Yeah, and you're like... Uh, you're like Becky didn't even fucking do anything, and Becky's just black. Yeah, just um, fucked up. So they're carting Sarah away after Miss Minchin says this, and Sarah is screaming, "Papa, please, Papa, please, remember me, please!" And then Ramdas comes up to uh, Captain Crew, and there's that weird music again. And because he's a magical non-white person, suddenly everything comes back to Captain Crew, and he runs out into the pouring rain, and he goes, "Sarah." And then the police let him let her go, and she comes running to him, and he embraces her and kisses her, and he's like, "I'm so sorry." And I'm literally crying at this point. I cry every time at this point in the movie. Every time you can ask Ashley, we watched it together. I was boohooing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it. It, it just makes me feel good, you know, yeah. that her dad's alive. Um, so after this, uh, you see that the school has been renamed Randolph School for Girls. Uh, the gentleman next door is Mr. Randolph. Everything's been worked out. Captain Crew now has all of his stuff back. Uh, and he and Sarah um, have taken Becky in, and he's basically adopted Becky. Um, and so now they're heading back to India, uh, cause apparently he doesn't have to go in the army anymore now that he's been so terribly wounded. Yeah. I mean, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Uh, but you get this one last scene kind of where Lavinia and Sarah make peace with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> the best part is after Becky, uh, and Sarah and Captain Crew have driven away, Miss Minchin is seen wearing scrubs uh, to work as a chimney sweep, and her boss is the 10-year-old kid that she had thrown out and didn't pay. Yeah. And he's like, come on, Minchin. Fucking sick of your shit. She's like, when's my break? (laughs) And you're like... Which I don't know if that's necessarily how things would work out. I don't know how she ended up not being in charge. Like... I'm guessing some time passed between Sarah's reuniting and when they left New York. Like, maybe her reputation was just in such tatters that, you know, she was forced out and had to sell the school. I I don't know. I'm, yeah, honestly, like... Didn't make sense. It, it, it didn't make sense, like, at all, right? Um, But... 
just desserts. Also, the other thing I want to, like, mention about this, right? So, like, I'm happy with this ending, but, like, the actual version of, like, the ending is really <laughs> fucked up. Right? So... You, you should say it in that, uh, in that Vine voice. Like, I was fucked up back then. That was like... fucked up back then. <laughs> okay, so, in the original version, the book version, right... Sarah invites Becky to live with her and be her personal maid in much better living conditions than at Miss Minchin's. And then, yeah. Yikes! Which, to be fair, Becky was a white girl. Yeah. In, uh, in the book. So. Yeah. I guess that's, like the only saving grace but like in the context of this movie holy fucking shit no um yeah and like also, nothing happens to miss mention she just kind of she's forgotten yeah, because yeah. she like goes home or something she goes and, and amelia stands up to her um but amelia also has a nervous breakdown afterwards mm-hmm. um so the characters of Sarah's story, um, Prince Brahma and his wife Sita and the evil Ravana all come from the ancient epic Indian poem, the Ramayana. So that's where she got the story from. Uh, yep. I'm trying to go through some stuff. The name of Ramdas's monkey is Hanuman, which is the name of the monkey god who helped Prince Rama rescue Sita from Ravana in the Ramayana interesting um the inherent meaning of the name sarah is princess which i mean i knew that yep um Uh, also the child actress that played sarah which we had mentioned came from like a very wealthy background mm -hmm. uh and was like the grandchild of a wealthy industrialist uh who founded the um, Hyatt Hotel chain. Mm-hmm. And after, like, she received that $500 million after a family dispute and, like, lawsuit in her early 20s. Yeah, she um, ain't got to work another day in her life. And she became a the- philanthropist, right? In, among other places, India a country which her character loved as well and created several educational and development charities. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's not a lot of trivia for this movie. No. Um, not a lot of the people in this movie ended up to have careers. I think, like, the one girl that played Lavinia, Ajeline mentioned that she, like, plays competition frisbee, or she did. <laughs> competition frisbee. Yep. That's her life now. I mean, I'm not knocking it. I just think that's definitely not something I've ever heard of before. You know what? There is fucking Quidditch. Like, there are professional Quidditch teams, which There are. Like, I love Harry Potter as much as the next, but, like, come fuck it on. Like, really? (laughs) Really? I I know friends that, like, went to a Quidditch match when they had one in, like, Charleston, and I was like, wait what <laughs> it's a thing <laughs> like i love harry potter but it's I, mean, like, I, really... I love harry potter but i don't love jk rowling you know like uh-huh 
uh, yeah. J.K. Rowling is kind of ruining the fandom for me. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, a lot <laughs> of... Yeah, that's because she keeps putting in extra shit that is just She like, should just shut up. Like, shut the, the fuck up. Let the fandom do the work for you because you're like, oh, even though it doesn't specifically say that, Hermione was a black character. No, she wasn't. Like, she was not a black character in your books. You know, yeah. like, she's a black character, or she was, when um, the Broadway or the West End production of The Cursed Child came out. Like, they cast a black woman to play Hermione, or, yeah. yeah. But, like, she wasn't black in the books. Just, like, Dumbledore is not coded gay. Yeah. But he's gay. Like, no, he wasn't. No. Like, that's an after-effect thing to make you look more woke, and it's kind of depressing that you are resorting to that while also being a turf. So, no love for you. Um, so. I will say, though, because I, I just looked at, like, some of the people who still have, like, careers in this movie. And the lady who played the, the cook in this movie still has a career. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the latest thing she's been in was Stranger Things. Oh. Yeah, so, I mean... There's some people who still have a career, I guess. But none of them are blockbusters. No, I mean... Like, Alfonso Alfonso Cuaron is the most successful person out of all of them. And also and Liam director. Cunningham. I mean, he was in Game of Thrones, so... Yeah, he's set for life with that paycheck. Yeah. Uh, so, now, Tess, we've, uh, we've definitely run a little longer with this one, but I feel like there was a lot to discuss, so forgive us. Yeah. Uh, it's gone a little longer than uh, what we've been doing lately, so... Um, Who cares? Okay. <laughs> I care. I like to keep it under an hour 15. It's true. We, like we, have been, we have been, but, you know. Um, Th- this had a lot to address right now. Historically. Yeah. So. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we had to go into our childhood traumas about school. <laughs> yeah. Fucking teachers. Fuck teachers. Uh, which I, I mean, just I, kidding. I, I mean, teachers teacher. do God's work. Yes, bless them. They are everything. They are the counselor, the the psychiatrist, the, the teacher, the nurse. Like, th- they deserve way more pay than what they get. It's true. Um, at overall, like, there's still shit teachers out there. Uh, so, Tess. Bechdel Tess. You have two named female characters on screen alone talking about something other than a man. This happens all the time. It's a pass. Then you have the racial Bechdel test. You have two people of color on screen alone talking about something other than a white person. No, unfortunately not. Yeah. Um, like there is that one scene where Sarah is at the beginning, at the beginning of the movie with Maya and her son. Yeah. And her son mentions, you know, well, I thought, I thought your, you know, dad was in the army, and she's like, yeah, he was, but he was my prince. But because Sarah's there, it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mac test. Do you have a female character whose story arc is about more than pushing a male narrative forward? Yes. Every single woman in this movie has motivations beyond uh, pushing a male narrative. So it's a pass. Then you have the Duvernay test. Do you have people of color in this movie who act as more than just pushing along a white narrative? Um, as much as Becky is instrumental to the plot, she's instrumental to the plot as a helper of Sarah. Of Sarah. And, yeah. yeah, and Ram Dass, he doesn't have any real motivation beyond helping the white people around him, so it fails. 
then you have the sexy lamp test. Can you get rid of named female characters and it not take away from the plot? You could honestly get rid of a lot of the schoolgirls. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could even get rid of Amelia. Like, she's not very vital to the plot, so fail. Uh, and then you have the Vito Russo test, which is um, someone who uh, identifies as a gender, sexuality, or romantic minority. They have agency. They're not just stereotypes. Uh, and they matter to the plot. And unfortunately, there is none of that in this movie. But then again, most of the main characters in this movie are children, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, pretty good. Um, now, do I think this movie's feminist? I wouldn't say feminist so much as I would a message of, like, empathy. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it shows that, like, hey, don't be a shit person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't Show think it's, kindness. like, a women's empowerment thing. No, I think it just, you know, shows that, like, hey, maybe be nice to people who are, you know, not... Less fortunate. Yeah, exactly. Don't I mean, follow the Republican Jesus. I'm just, yeah, I'm just saying that like a lot of this movie, I'm pretty sure uh, Republican people could like you know maybe get some actual information from, but they just don't give a fuck. Yeah, if this movie would have come out now, they would have been bitching and moaning about the fact that Becky was cast as a black girl, which is so fucked up. Yeah, like apparently having any minority in a movie is just tokenizing them and. Giving in to the SJWs. I don't know. I don't pretend to understand how that happens. Though I have watched plenty of videos about how people get radicalized and. Whew. Whew. I'm exhausted. Um, so, yeah, that's it for today. Um, our last movie of the month is going to be The Mummy. I'm so excited about this movie. I love it. Uh, yeah, we're going to end on a high note. And then we're going to be doing Happy Gilmore movies in January. So, oh, yeah. Uh, and we're going to have a guest for one of them, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well, we were supposed to have a guest for uh, Pretty Woman. Didn't really turn out, but that's all right. I, I, did, I did ask this particular guest in the summertime when I still lived in Edmonton. And it just... <laughs> didn't work out. Yeah, it doesn't work out. And that's totally fine. So. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, of course, you've already listened to the Pretty Woman episode if you're listening to this one. Unless this is your first time listening to us. In which case, please listen to the Pretty Woman episode. Uh, so yeah, we Also, will don't see listen you- to our first episode ever and, like, decide that that's the podcast. Okay? Yeah, for sure. Because... I'm really, I'm really tempted to take, like, the first six we did off because we sound like we're recording out of a tin can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Uh, so yeah, that's it uh, for today. We're going to be doing the Mummy next week. Um, our Happy Gilmore, uh, Happy Gilmore production movies, I think, are going to be actually Happy Gilmore. I know we're doing the House Bunny. Uh, we're doing one more Adam Sandler movie. I think is it the it's either the Water Boy or Big Daddy. I'm not sure. Uh, and then we're going to do Joe Dirt. Oh God. Ooh, that's, that one's going to be a doozy. Yep. <laughs> uh, So, yeah, uh, I hope you guys have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next week, and uh, enjoy yourselves. All right. Bye, guys.